Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face. If not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Back. And so last week, we looked at meditation. It's tough right now to stay grounded. It's tough right now to stay centered. Pandemic, this bitter division that's going on, slow climate emergency, war, all the things that are going on is difficult not to fall prey to despair or maybe a little bit of lashing out on a recurring basis or just the generalized malaise that happens when adrenaline surges for too long, too frequently, too often that we just fall into that malaise state. So the question, am I meditating right, is really the question, am I meditating? Because we've said before, you can't get this process wrong. Uh, We'll say that again in a minute. uh, Because when we feel badly, (laughs) I know Gene gives me grief whenever I say this. It's doing that echo thing again, Gene. There he goes. Uh, When we feel badly, Uh, as a lot of folks do right now, it's very difficult to get up and do the thing that in the long run is actually going to make us feel better. So, last week I thought was a reminder lesson. Our ancient heritage, Lectio and Visio Divina, what we now call mindfulness practice, has been a significant uh, tool in our spiritual tradition for centuries. So I thought last week would be a one-week reminder. But fortunately, some really great questions came in during the week about the practicality of developing a steady contemplative practice. So one more lesson on this before we move on. So as we said last week, out there in the desert, uh, on the f- in the final, during the final days of the Roman Empire, and then in the centuries that followed in the Western monastic communities, we did this practice that we call Lectio, uh, or now we call mindfulness. And we did it to help us access the inner light, to help us find the inner divine of which we are all carriers, to help us rise above the lesser self, the ego self. In the language of the day, back then, it would have been to help us walk after the spirit instead of walking after the flesh. So, here's the thing. Uh, We did not design this practice those centuries ago to reduce stress. But it turns out (laughs) that in our highly stressed world, the practice will also do that. It turns out that accessing the inner light self will calm the surging chemicals that our bodies pump out in times of stress. And with regular practice, what mindfulness will do is actually head off a lot of those episodes. Because before the chemicals surge, there's usually some ego story that we carry around inside of ourselves that's gotten poked. We've explored at length the unconscious assumptions that we all carry about people and about things and about ourselves, about our circumstances. And when one of those core assumptions gets that poke, the chemicals surge. We call it fight or flight, something like that. But here's the thing about those chemical surges. Natural selection designed them to help us survive tiger attacks. (laughs) And for most of us, not a lot of tiger attacks. 
and yet we still have those chemical surge responses. But now they don't happen when we need to run from danger. Now they mostly surge in response to our thoughts. Most of the time, those surges of chemicals that we experience are in response to an inner assumption or an inner belief or an inner expectation or a story we tell ourselves. And those chemicals are a very physical thing that happens in our bodies, but they are responding to non-physical thoughts that happen in our heads. Imagined threats rather than tiger threats. Predicted threats speculative threats, physical reactions to non-physical thoughts. Now, I'm sure you've heard by now, do that for long enough and we start to do damage to our bodies. We start to experience sleep disruption or digestive disruption or chronic anxiety or bouts of depression or recurring pain, aches in our bodies or negative moods. So when I say meditation wasn't designed to reduce stress, but it will do that, it does so because it helps us practice situating ourselves in the present. It helps us actually live in the moment in which we are. It helps us live in the here and the now to attend to the actual people in our lives who most often are not trying to eat us. Being present to our actual circumstances, less so than being present to our imagined circumstances, our imagined threats. Now, here's the thing. Do that and do it steadily and do it over time and our lives just become better off because we do get less hijacked by our chemicals, which means we become less anxious, less distracted, less grouchy, which means then we can focus better, make better, less distracted decisions, become less physically worn out because those chemicals, they will exhaust us. We become less hijacked by our bad moods, less driven by our compulsive habits. So that story we heard last week, it, it's actually a pretty common one. When I'm steady with my meditative practice, we heard, I become a better parent or a better spouse, or a better friend, or a better manager, or a better coworker, because what happens when I am steady in my practice is I am able to sidestep many of those interior reactions that are so hijacking. I am able to be more appreciative of the people who are with me because I see them and I experience them as they actually are, not as my reactionary response would dictate. I'm able to appreciate more, see more clearly. I become less clouded by bad moods, by pessimism. I become less distracted by the million things on my to-do list, more grateful for, more able to savor my moments in this earth with my people. There's a whole lot of ugly stuff going on right now. And if we are already to the edge, as a pandemic will do, as the bitterness of the division that we've been going through will do. If we're already at the edge, where do we have to go but? So to be able to offload some of that through steady practice seems an important practice. So 
without seeing it happen to us, here's what happens. For steady in our meditation, we just find ourselves becoming more aware, more self-aware and more aware of our worlds, more able to see what we do and then why we do it, more able to see the self-defeating habits that we have and more able to sidestep them, more able to avoid them. So again, not really designed to reduce stress, but sure enough, meditation, mindfulness will do that. So today, I'd like to look at some very practical steps, ways that we can actually become more steady in our practice. When we finish, we'll have some discussion. Here's the questions that'll come up. So I want to give you a little time to be thinking about them as we're going through the lesson. Today, I'm going to strip mindfulness down to a single essential. I'll call that essential noticing. So when you hear that, be thinking, when do I do that kind of noticing? What prompts it? What triggers it? How do I find myself in that noticing posture? Also, we'll talk about three factors, how human beings integrate new things. So as you hear those three factors, be thinking to yourself, which one of those is probably the limiting factor that keeps me from being able to integrate a steady practice? And then finally, we'll draw from those three to help us uh, brainstorm with each other, talk with each other about how we might develop some habits. So be thinking as the lesson's going on. Those will be the questions that'll come up afterwards. And... <clears throat> After last week's lesson, Sarah, uh, some of you might not know Sarah, she is on our social media team. She often scours TikTok for me to find good stuff and send it to me because I just can't do any more social media. So she sends it to me. Here's one of the ones she sent me this week. I make the biggest difference for my nervous system by asking myself the stupidest questions. This is a practice called orienting. You can do it wherever. I like to do it outside. I just sit on the ground and I go, where am I right now? And then I say back to myself, I'm in my backyard, sitting behind my house. This is the street my house is on. This is the city my house is in. And then I ask myself, when am I right now? And I think, it's a Tuesday evening. Before this, I had a Tuesday day. After this will be a Tuesday night. The stupidest questions, right? Like, shouldn't make a big difference. You know where you are. You know when you are. But do you? Does your nervous system? And after I answer those questions, I'll spend like 10 minutes just sitting and looking around and trying to like utilize my senses to notice the current moment that I'm in. Just doing some really detailed observation of like the grass on the ground, the birds that I can hear, the way that the breeze feels on my arm. It just gives you a bit more of a process for mindfulness so you can really pull your brain back into this present moment and remind yourself that right now you're not in the crisis. So to get super practical about meditation about the practice, it's good to begin with the word mindful. In essence, that's what the TikToker is saying. Yeah. Uh, now, sitting in the backyard, that doesn't match what most people think when they think of meditation. Asking those simple questions, where am I, uh, when am I, those don't match most people's idea of what meditation is. But most of the time, we don't live mindfully. So a great essence of the practice is mindfulness. Because what most of the time we do is that our minds run some kind of automated program. We just do the next thing. We don't ask ourselves about the next thing, we just do the next thing. And then we do the next thing and the next thing after that. The next thing we think 
the next thing we feel, the next thing we say. We tend to just do the next thing, walk through our days getting ahead, but never asking, uh, where am I? What am I doing right now? What am I seeing? What am I hearing? What am I feeling? We just don't do that. We don't stand outside of the process and look at it. Well, that's an essential form of mindfulness. It's doing a thing that human beings are capable of doing. Standing outside of the rushing river that is our thought life and our emotional life and our physical life and our mental life. Standing outside of it and looking at it and saying, where am I? When am I? Now, because we don't do that, because we don't step off the stage in which we are playing a part, we don't stand outside and watch ourselves, because we don't do that, we are constantly triggered by these automatic responses in our brains. We are constantly uh, run by habits, and those simple questions can become quite powerful, because what they do is they trigger the act of noticing. So that's what I would say is the stripped-down essence of mindfulness. It is noticing. Now, for lots of people, when we think about meditation, when we think about centering prayer, when we think about contemplative practice, we can get kind of hung up on the extraneous stuff, the supporting tools. Those things can become hang-ups. But in its essential form, what mindfulness does include is noticing but it doesn't require that we be in the lotus position. It doesn't require that you have a chair or a pillow. It doesn't require that you have a teacher or a candle. It doesn't require a mantra. It doesn't require a sacred word. It doesn't even require focus on breath. Those are just supporting tools. We use them to help us notice. That's the essence of mindfulness, notice. That's the part we want to make sure that we do. When we get really practical about this, we want to make sure we don't get hung up on the supporting mechanisms. We want to make sure that we do this thing that human beings are capable of doing but usually don't do, noticing. Noticing our world as it is and noticing our bodies in the world, noticing our thoughts, noticing our sensations, our feelings in that world. So. When I say, and you've heard me say it lots of times, you can't really get this practice wrong, it's because if you notice that you're not noticing, that's noticing. <laughs> so hey, look at that. The essential core of mindfulness, the essential core of meditation, noticing. So let's just say that you're sitting on a chair. I do that when I meditate. Or let's just say that you're flying on the floor. I do that sometimes as well. Or maybe it's a pillow. Maybe you even do the lotus. But let's say that you are giving your full attention to your breath, breathing in, watching it as it comes out. Let's say you're using a sacred word. Let's say you're using a mantra, tools. That's what they are. They're tools that help us notice, here's where I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's what my mind is doing. Here's what my body is doing. And that's where we want to get super practical, putting things in place that will help us do the noticing part, keeping the main thing, the main thing. So whatever form your meditation takes, and there are lots and lots of forms, remember what the point will be. The point will be noticing. 
Okay, you might remember this book from last spring. I did a lesson called How to Change Your Mind. I said this would be a great companion book for that lesson. The book is called Tiny Habits. The core premise of the book is this. When you give it your best try and you don't make some kind of sustainable change happen in your life, it's usually because we human beings do this again and again and again. We've taken on too much and we've tried to take it on too soon. We've taken on too much and we've tried to take it on too soon. What we tend to not do, we're notoriously bad at as human beings, is factor in how long it takes to change the human mind. How long it takes to build neural networks that become the foundation of sustained change in our lives. So here's what the book says. The book says, the formation of a new thing in our lives, a steady thing in our lives, a consistent thing in our lives, it happens at the convergence of these three core forces. It happens when these three are in adequate supply, ability, motivation, and the prompt. Ability, motivation, and the prompt. When those three things are present to a sufficient degree, a new habit just happens. It just emerges. Now, unbeknownst to us, those three factors were present whenever it was that you developed whatever habit you happen to have right now. Those three things were present. All the, all the habits that we currently practice were developed at the convergence of motivation, ability, and prompt. Those three things were doing their magic when brushing teeth or scrolling the phone became something that you just do. Those three things were present in adequate amounts when healthy exercise or staying up late became what you do. So, to help us think about making mindfulness a steady practice in our lives, it's good to then think about those three forces. The first one, motivation, is simple. It's just desire. Wanting a new thing in our lives. <clears throat> in this case, actually wanting to have a steady mindfulness practice. Now, maybe motivation is your limiting factor. I know it is for some of us. Maybe you don't really want to meditate. Maybe you don't believe it's going to help you. Maybe you've heard the hype. Maybe you've tried a thing or two, but nah, it didn't help, didn't work for you. No, thank you. Or maybe you had a bad experience. Maybe it brought up awareness of some things that you'd prefer to keep at arm's distance, prefer to avoid. Or having tried it, maybe you felt like, oh God, I suck at this, I'm just a failure. And your brain, always wanting to accommodate you, not having to deal with those kind of pressures, just tells you, no, it's not really a thing, so you don't have to face the feelings that you might be a failure. So maybe motivation is your limiting factor. Maybe some part of you doesn't want to meditate. And if that's the case, maybe Google, is mindfulness really helpful? Maybe Google, is centering prayer really helpful? And see what the science says and see what our spiritual tradition says. See what people say. You're going to get a bunch of input of how maybe this might could be something that you would want. But for most folks that I talk to, it's the other two that are the problem. It's the other two that become their limiting factors. 
Most folks that I talk to think that a steady contemplative practice would be a good thing in their lives, but still, even though they have the motivation, have the desire, it doesn't happen. Well, if that's the case, odds are it's because ability and prompt. Now, as I said in the lesson last spring, we always overestimate our ability. We always take on too much, and we always assume that something will be easy when in fact it's quite difficult. It takes work to change one's neural networks. So, have you ever done this? Because I know I have. Meditation? Yeah. Mindfulness? Yeah. Desire? I believe I'm a believer. So, chair? Check. <laughs> Timer? Check. Candle? Check. Thich Nhat Hanh? Read him. Internet gurus, you really need to do this for 30 minutes? Okay, if that's what you need to do, I'll do it. Here I go. Now, if you have also done that, I bet you do not have a steady thing in your life. <laughs> I bet you have not fully integrated steady practice into your days because we grossly overestimate our ability to pick up and to integrate any new thing into our lives. Now, maybe a steady 30-minute practice is in your future. But maybe for you, too, that is just discouraging. I can't even imagine, can't master the five-minute thing. How in the world am I going to do the 30-minute thing? So here's what the brain science says was your big mistake. Your big mistake was overestimating your brain's capacity to integrate any new thing. It's just not how brains work. Here's what you should have done. Thank you, brain scientists. You should have started tiny, thus the title of the book. <laughs> you should have started tiny, but steady. Tiny, like ridiculously tiny. Like, oh, come on, that doesn't even feel real tiny. That's why I put that TikTok up, because that's easy. Because that's tiny. Sit down in the backyard and look around or sit by a window, but do it once a day, or do it every weekday, but only do it for a short time. So here's how it might go. You do a thing, but you only do it for 90 seconds. That's crazy, that's not even real, that's hardly even a thing. We take some breaths, we notice where, we notice when, maybe we just notice one thought, maybe we just notice one sensation in our body and then we go make dinner. 90 seconds, that's it. 90 seconds of noticing, then go make dinner. Now here's the thing. If as you're sitting there in your backyard, or if as you sit at your kitchen table and look out the window, if while you're walking the dog, if while you're noticing for those 90 seconds you end up wanting to do something more, well sure, go ahead. Maybe do some breath focus, sure, of course. Some sitting, probably good. Light a candle, could only help. Use your sacred word, great. But you, if you want to integrate something new into your life, like a daily mindfulness practice, you only do those extra things if, as you're sitting there, you feel it. You want to do it if the desire is present. The commitment is not to sit for the extra time. As a matter of fact, if you make yourself sit for the extra time when you don't want to, you'll probably work against the habit. The firm commitment is just the do it every time, make no exception commitment of 90 seconds. That's it, then go make dinner. Tiny, does it even feel real kind of 
tiny. But every day, every day, every day, every day. Do that, and we start participating with the rewiring of our brains into steadiness and consistency. That's how our brains work. Now, here's the problem. 90 seconds is hardly noticeable. So how in the world are you going to remember to do 90 seconds every day, every day, every day? I bet you could tell me it's the prompt. That's how you're going to remember to go into the backyard. The prompt. That's how. Now the book, again, I would strongly encourage it, has a whole chapter on prompts that works best, and it turns out that an alarm on your phone is one of the worst. That's not one of the most effective ways to prompt yourself. Much better are the prompts of before and after. The prompts of before and after. Connecting something to a thing that we already do. We do the new thing, the tiny new thing before, or we do the new thing, the tiny new thing after. Which is why I mentioned dinner. We do eat, and we usually eat at about the same time every day. Or we brush our teeth, or we get some coffee, or we turn the key in the car, or we pick up our phone off of the charger, or we put our feet on the floor in the morning, or we walk the dog, or we take a shower. These are things that we already do every day, and that makes them very good prompts for triggering new things, tiny new things, like 90 seconds of noticing. So before I allow myself to turn on the stove, I sit at the kitchen table for 90 seconds, and I breathe, and I notice. Now maybe I'll stay there for 10 minutes. Maybe I'll use some breathing focus. Maybe I will, but I'm only committing to 90 seconds, but I do those 90 seconds before I eat, before I turn on the stove, or before I push start on the dishwasher. Now I've done the dinner, I've made sure everything's out there and I don't feel rushed, and be, but before I push start on the dishwasher, after the clean is done, I sit down 90 seconds of noticing. Or I take the dog for a walk every day. When she does her business, that's when I trigger 90 seconds of noticing. I notice every time that happens. There are a whole menu of tools available to us to help us center ourselves, to help us be mindful, to help us become watchers of our thoughts. There's breathing. We do that one all the time. There are mantras. There are sacred words. Centering prayer has a rich tradition. Designated chairs in our homes. That's a good idea. It helps us. There are candles. That helps us. There are chimes that go off. Tips on walking meditation. All kinds of tools that can help us. But that's not the work that is required of us if we want to have a steady practice. Those are supporting tools. The work is for us to look at that whole menu of possibilities and begin to determine what is going to help me trigger a new habit around small practice. How am I going to use this menu to help me work the three forces of motivation, ability, tiny ability, and prompts? That is what will help us build a steady practice. We get those three factors working for us. And what happens next is we just stand back and watch because our brains will develop habits when those things are in place. There's an old axiom among people who think about our brains that says you can't change yourself, but you can change your environment. And if you change your environment, your environment will change you. So that's what we do is we create the different spaces, then we just stand back and watch. 
We put our brains and we put our bodies into the right environment and change just does happen. So I've got a reminder file that comes up every month. And the first part is just a list of habits that I would like to integrate into my life. Using those three forces, what tiny little thing am I going to do to begin to do these kinds of things? And I've got a list of things that I would like to integrate. I've got the second part of that file when it comes up is things that I've already integrated into my life. What the second part helps me do is to go back when my new habits have begun to slip. And by the way, that happens a lot. And I've usually misplaced the prompt factor. That's the thing that's happened and I'm not being prompted, so I'm not remembering. And so the second part helps me assess uh, where I've been. The first part helps me assess my bandwidth for any new thing in my life. Now, <coughs> since about Thanksgiving, my life has been anything but bandwidth. <laughs> I have not integrated, uh, that. every time that comes up, dismiss, wait for next week, nec or next, wait for next month, wait for next month, because I've, it's been a really demanding time in my life. But your life is no different. I bet that's happened. My life is not usually as busy as it's been lately. But this month, finally, I feel like I could go back and begin to restore some of the habits that I had already integrated. And one of them is to get back to my mindfulness practice. So maybe you would want to join me. And maybe we could think together about creative ways to use those three factors to help us develop a steadier contemplative practice in our lives. And if you do, I hope you'll post what you're thinking about, what you're practicing, what you're trying on our What Are You Thinking uh, group. Uh, what are you trying to do to integrate steadiness into your contemplative life? And so, indwelling divine, may we be steady in those practices that help us access the interior light. That's our prayer. May we be less dominated by our chemicals. Amen. Well, if you would, please prepare your offerings, and as you're doing that, remember what I say each week, that when we invest in spiritual community, when we invest our time and our energy, our relational capacity, when we invest our dollars, when we invest our love, what the community does is a great return on investment, because what the community does with those things that we give is takes them, amplifies them, and gives them back to us and gives them back to us in the form of a context in a community in which the human being is designed to thrive and flourish. So, we all donate our dollars on the website. At the top, there's a donate button. So, but be thinking about how to contribute and how to be the recipient of the community's blessings. So, now in a moment, what we're going to do is dismiss you folks online, and we are going to work on the questions together. You'll notice that the questions are there in the live stream notes, and I hope you heard the announcement that on March 20th and March 27th, we're going to do a pilot project. We're going to try and do on Zoom what we do together here in person, and maybe you could help us figure out how we could do it better, how we could be better at building friendships online. Well, if you would, let's put our hands on our hearts and let's remember that we are carriers, every one of us, of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, all those are in us because the divine is within us. And if you would, extend your other hand to our city. Let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed. Those of us, let's start forming in groups of five. All come around. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org newcomer. 
And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you